invite youth camp, everyone going to youth camp, to come sit with these kids down here. We're about to have, we're about to start youth camp right now. So come down here. I want the kids to sit down. Give me a little bit of space in case I get wound up. But if you go into youth camp, we're about to have our first youth camp session. That was such a pure worship set. Thank you. Um, you know how a lot of times it's real tempting to get distracted when somebody like me is speaking, you know what I mean? I want to ask y'all to lock in with me to the youngest ones. I want you to show adults that you, you can pay attention on a high level. This is going to be some good stuff. This is, this is a good sermon, John, if I'm being honest. I'm just coming clean right now. I got a lot to say. Um, by the way, that's a lot of calories burned with Ethan and Justice. That's CrossFit worship. I got tired watching y'all. I went to the beach this week, my Fitbit. I did 36 steps in four days. Um, sunburn, got a little bit of heartburn, a lot of shrimp. All right, I'll start with you, Justice. Are you ready? Do we have a microphone? We're going to have like Shema slash recovery group slash exegesis of First Samuel 9. I'm going to ask you a question. It's pretty serious, okay? Don't mess this up. You ready? What's your favorite drink in the world? Your favorite soda? Your favorite? If I, you could only have one drink to drink in the world, what would it be? Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. Any Dr. Pepper people in the house? Adults don't drink as much soda. You get older, you get headaches. Um, younger, I used to love it. What, what else? Favorite drink? Let's go uh, Oscar. I'm talking like you could only have one drink the rest of your life. What would it be? You're asking your brother, um, what's your favorite? I'm asking you, what's your favorite drink? Sprite. Sprite, okay. That's, any Sprite people in here? Um, who, what's the drink you're not supposed to shake? It's a health drink. Kombucha. So I went on a fast one time, and I got sick of drinking water. So I bought a kombucha, and I didn't know what it was. I'm not really a kombucha kind of guy. And I uh, shook it and got back in my car and had an encounter with the Lord in my car. <laughs> Don't shake a kombucha. Well, there is a drink in here that I've met very few kids that, have ever, that ever likes what's in here. And I'm, I'll tell you what's in here in a second. There's some people, I'm not going to mention any names. There's some people like Gabby Howard. When she goes to a place like Starbucks, she puts 12 to 16 things in her coffee, okay? Some of y'all go to Starbucks. It's impossible. Even the people who work at Starbucks, they get PhDs. They go to Harvard to figure out how to make your coffee. They don't even know what you do. Here's what's in this in this cup. Coffee. Yeah. Now, let me see that. There's different types of people in the world. I'm not going to go into what paradox is, but there's Gabby Howard and then there's Mike Jones. Let me explain the difference. Mike Jones gets 35 pounds of his coffee for under $2 total, okay? If you were to pour Mike Jones coffee on a plant, the plant would bark back to you like a dog. <laughs> this is more of a Mike Jones coffee. It's, it's Folgers. Now you guys, these people, these bougie people around here, all these garden college people, I guarantee you no one at garden college. If you lie, the Lord's going to get you. When's the last time someone in here had six cups of Folgers in the morning? We have one honest person, but she's an adult. If a kid were to drink Mike Jones coffee, one of three things would happen. You would spit it up, pass out, 
or be emotionally paralyzed for about nine days. Now, who in here has ever had like knee-high grape? Delicious, older people. Cherry Coke. Anyone ever been, honestly, have you ever been to the Coke factory in Atlanta where you can have, I don't, I think there's a thousand Cokes. You can have Cokes from all over the world. They put something in Coke that could make anything taste good. What's it called? Sugar. Now, real, a real coffee drinker loves just coffee. I'm telling you, this is prophetic. If you ask Mike Jones, do you want anything in your coffee? He will judge you and be under conviction of the Holy Spirit. There are certain people when they think coffee, they're just thinking coffee. But coffee is synonymous with one thing. And I noticed over the years, listen to me, it started popping up in a lot of people's dreams around here. What is coffee synonymous with? What do, who said that? Who said that? What'd you say? No, somebody else said, you said it. You said the right answer. Coffee is known as being, huh? No. Huh? Bitterness. Well, sitting in the Gentile courts this morning. Good answer. Very nice. Bitterness. Take out your Bibles because I forgot to give it up there. I, I typically forget details and stuff. First Samuel chapter nine. This is the underbelly theme of youth camp that I didn't see coming until this morning. So we're going to talk about Yadah, right? That is right, right? Yadah. But here's what Abba is going to deal with at youth camp, starting with all of us. If you drink coffee for the first time, who remembers the first sip of coffee when you were like, yuck, this is strange. I'm, I'm one of the only Christian ministers that has not liked coffee really until I was about 48. Because the first time that it went down my mouth, I said, why? <laughs> Seriously, why? That's why God made Starbucks and all these other ones. Now they're so fancy you can't pronounce their names because they put 12 things in it. Because guess what it takes out? The bitterness. You imagine ordering a Coca-Cola, get you a burrito with your Coca-Cola and there's no sugar in it. It's called tabs, nasty. Adults remember tab. Tab is known to kill rats in these little things. You go drink, it's disgusting. You look on the back, it's got aspartame, plastic, devils. You look at Coke and it's, oh, 45 grams of sugar in each taste. Wonderful. We're not wired to like bitterness. You bake a cake because guess what's in the cake? Sugar. sugar. And sugar is what? Sweet. I can't remember which movie it is. One of the Mary Poppins movies. I don't know where they're singing around. It's, it's not a tad bit of bitterness makes the medicine go down. It's a tad bit of what? It's, what's the word? Sugar. It's a sugar. spoonful of sugar. Sing it. Makes the medicine go down and the medicine go down. You drink this right here. If a six-year-old were to drink this right here, they'd pass away. And you got all these shops now, you go buy cupcakes, no sugar in it. It's like, why? What's the point of it all? Now, I'm going to read a passage that we're going to dive into tonight. Tonight's going to be part two of this at youth camp. I'm going to speak at it. I want you to listen. This is 1 Samuel, sorry, 1 Samuel 1, verse 9. Listen to this. One time after they had finished their meal... In the house of the Lord at Shiloh, Hannah got up. She was deeply distressed. Let me set the stage for you. It's not going to be long. 
Think of Eli as like her lead pastor, okay? And Hannah's like a member at Eli's church. Just think of it that way. She was so distressed and she cried bitterly to the Lord. Y'all know what a secret is, right, kids? What if I were to give you a secret right now that would make you a bunch? You, if you did this, you would have all the Skittles you want the rest of your literal life. You probably do it. I, my 13-year-old really loves them. If I were to give you a secret and you were to do this secret to get all the candy you want the rest of your life, you'd probably listen right here. You ready? I'm going to give you a secret to how the Father's kingdom works. He honors when we cry bitterly to him. He does not look kindly when we become bitter with him. When a person becomes bitter with God, this is what the angelic realm says. Uh-oh. On the count of three, everybody say, uh-oh. One, two, three. Whenever this gets in your heart, it's not good. But whenever you take your bitterness to him and give it to him, he always comes and helps you. Now, I'm going to show you something. This isn't too long of a sermon, and then I'm going to interview Mr. Michael Thornton on something. We're going, to, we're going to jump into something. One time, God sent him to a graveyard to pray for someone he didn't even know, and I'm going to show you how forgiveness and grace and redemption works. It's an incredible story. Watch this. She was deeply distressed and cried bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Meanwhile... Eli, the priest, think of him as the pastor, was sitting in his place by the door. Hannah made a solemn promise. Lord Almighty, look at me, your servant. See my trouble and remember me. Don't forget me. If you give me a son, I promise that I'll dedicate him to you for his whole life and that he will never have his hair cut. Hannah continued to pray to the Lord for a long time. Eli watched her lips. She was praying silently. Her lips were moving, but she made no sound. She was so distraught and in pain that she couldn't even make a sound. That's how deep her pain was. So Eli thought that she was drunk and he said to her, what Eli says to her is wrong. The pastor figure, the leader was wrong. He says, why are you drunk? Stop making a fool of yourself. She says, I'm not drunk. I haven't been drinking. I'm desperate. And I've been praying, pouring out my troubles to the Lord. Don't think that I'm a worthless woman. I've been praying like this because I'm so miserable. Go in peace, Eli said, and may the God of Israel give you what you've asked him for. May you always think kindly of me, she replied. Then she went away, ate some food, and was no longer sad. Guess what the father showed me yesterday? Hannah would go on to become pregnant with one of the greatest, she would birth one of the greatest prophets ever. But there was two secrets that she knew that other people don't know. She did not become bitter at the father, and she did not become bitter with the spiritual leader in her life that God gave her. That's powerful. Is it okay to have feelings of bitterness? Talk to me, Abby. It is, isn't it? Is it okay to become bitter at God? Is it okay to give your bitterness to God? I'm going to make this really simple. Michael, come on up here. Look at me. Like, listen to me. This is like the secret to powerful living. It's okay to become bitter. But what most people do is they become bitter at two people. God and the person God gave to lead them in that season. 
If I was Hannah, it would have been very tempting to become bitter at her pastor because he was wrong. Matter of fact, Michael, he had already been judged by the father. Eli had already been given a judgment by the father because he couldn't steward his sons. That's not my point. Hannah trusted God with Eli, her pastor, her priest. If you will honor God and take your bitterness to him all your life and honor the authority that God brought in your life, teacher, mom, dad, coach, pastor, the reason that most of us don't bond with God is because we don't understand what honor is. Hannah honored a broken leader in her life. If she would have become bitter, I do not think she would have had Samuel. I believe there is something about staying in forgiveness this way and in who God gives to lead us that opens up heaven. Tell me, uh, tell me what you hear. What do you hear me saying? I, saying that, I hear you saying that uh, it's, a real, it's a real important task that we have to manage and steward our own hearts, our own offenses, our own judgments, bitterness, things that we all walk through in life, and to really guard it from allowing it to be pointed at him and to be bitter with him in judgment with him and to really let that go. I want to close with two stories. I want you to tell the story of forgiveness of someone that I don't even think your wife knew. Is that correct? All right, so the opposite of bitterness is grace, forgiveness, right? Yes. Releasing the bitterness. Huge. Releasing the coffee. Tell this story. All right. You guys, this is a real cool story. All right, you ready? Uh, true story. It's actually about my wife, Amber, and we were in Birmingham, Alabama. Anybody ever been to Birmingham, Alabama? There we go, quite a bit. And um, we were there for a, a ministry weekend, and we did some family genealogy on Amber's side. Long story short... Amber had never met her grandfather, never. Um, her dad had never met him. He grew up in the foster care system. And so we knew nothing about this man. And when we went one day, we found his grave. It was buried at a church and it was right next to the hotel we were staying at in Birmingham. And so when we went there, we found out on the way from a family member that there had been some really bad things that happened in that family and that Amber's grandfather was a part of. And it actually, he made some really bad choices that literally tore up and divided the family. So much so that Amber's dad never met him and he would go on to pass away before they would ever meet. So it was like this gap in their family. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? You know, in our families, it could be really difficult and complicated sometimes. So when we went to the grave that day, we went there and, oh my Lord, we found the grave marker and Amber went to him and just basically said, you know, I don't really feel anything. I never, I don't know this man. I never met him, even though he's my biological grandfather. And so we're sitting there and basically the Lord showed us that we had an opportunity and been invited there to literally forgive and be reconcilers and just to release forgiveness over something that happened in that family that her grandfather initiated that really hurt the rest of the family. And so as we're there praying, I'm sitting there, Amber's like, she's not feeling anything emotionally, we're just sitting there, and guys, I have a vision. And this sounds really, really wild, but you know, when God shows you something, you just gotta do it. How many know God will show you something and, and lead you to do something? It makes no sense. Ever happened to anybody in here before? So I'm sitting there, and I just keep seeing a picture of me laying down over the grave. Like literally laying down. And I'm like, Lord, is this you? Is this me? This is in public, there are cars passing by. 
And it was like this scene out of Elijah, you know, when he lays over the boy to raise him from the dead. <laughs> I'm like, is this guy going to come out of the ground? Or are you like, what is, what is going on? So anyway, I just did it. And I just lay down. And this is what I heard the Lord say. As soon as I lay down, you know, he, sometimes he won't talk to you until you take that first step. Yes. So when I laid down, this is what he said. He said, Michael, I have blessed your family and your bloodline. But will you be willing to cover your wife's bloodline? Will you be willing to basically be a Boaz, a kinsman redeemer, and just lead the way in prayer and forgiveness? So as soon as I did that, I mean, the Lord just hit it, and Amber broke and just began to weep and cry. And we basically held hands and stood there and proactively forgave this family member for some things that were brought into this family that caused a lot of destruction among Amber's father and his siblings. Matter of fact, Amber's dad doesn't even know his siblings, didn't, didn't even really meet them. They all were in the foster care system. So here's the last part of the story. Are you ready for this? One of the cool things I like to have is you can't make this stuff up. So that night, we go back to the hotel room, right? We felt the Lord move on the prayer. Who in the world gets a phone call but Amber? And it's her aunt that she's never talked to. She's never met. She lives in Sacramento, California. And one of Amber's brother, or Amber's dad's brother, one of her uncles, reached out to her and they just randomly had a conversation and he told this, his sister what we were doing in Alabama and praying about the family. We were asking God to move and she calls Amber and they have a conversation that night in the hotel room. She'd never met. This is her aunt. And when we talked to her, we said, why, you know, why, why call? And you know what she said? She said, because my brother who I've not talked to in almost 50 years called me today and told me that you guys are really trying to bring healing to our family from what happened to my father and what he did. And I just want to let you know, I think that's really amazing. And guys, you can't make that up. And so I just want to end, end it right here, Chad, is that what the father showed us and what he taught us in that moment is that there is such power when we proactively forgive people and we pray and release forgiveness. I feel that that prayer of forgiveness, even though that man had passed away, the trauma, the hurts were still in the family. But that forgiveness unlocked something. And I think it really released uh, Amber's aunt and some of her uncles. I mean, it released them. And so now a silence, a family silence of 50 years is broken. And now a brother and sister are re- reconnecting in their family, all from a prayer of forgiveness that really at the time made no sense. But it just showed me, Chad, how powerful when we pray and forgive. Last thing I'll say, you guys have heard about the blood of Jesus. Anybody ever heard of the blood of Jesus? It's, it's kind of almost like a theory when we read it in the Bible. It's like up here, his blood was spilt. But you know what it practically means for us in one word? It's forgiveness. It's the whole reason why he willingly let his blood spill and was shed is so that you can, you and I can grow and partake and literally forgive, receive forgiveness and forgive others. I think forgiveness is probably one of the most powerful weapons in the arsenal of God that he has given us. I had a dream a couple nights ago and it was all about forgiveness. Some people in my life. And this is how the father showed me this. So this is a golf club. You could do a lot of things with it. You could prop a door open with it. You could fight off an animal if it came after you. Or you can do what it's intended to do, which a golf club is intended to do what? Hit a golf ball. 
my 13-year-old is a, is a good golfer, and he came to me a month ago, and he said, I want to get better at golf, and we went and we got him a lesson. Before the lesson from a guy named Todd Ellison, I said, Jack, first thing Todd's going to look at is your grip. Now, I've been playing golf for 46 years, and there's one thing that's more important than anything in golf. Does anyone know what this thing right here is called? It's not called a handle. Is your father an athlete? I, I prophetically discern he's not, Ethan. What is this called? It's called a grip. When you put your hands on it, your hands are called, you are, it's what? You are what it? Gripping it. 99% of amateur golfers have an improper grip. The first thing that the golf coach told Jack, your right hand is too far under the club. You have to grip it properly, and it's going to be awkward at first. And now a month later, Jack is a lot better because he's gripping it properly. I'm going to make this very, very simple. The proper grip in Christianity is you forgive. That's good. That's good preaching it. And this is, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. I've been doing this for 25 years. I would say about 100% of counseling sessions in 25 years in ministry is a person's bitterness at God or a person. So the way you get out of bitterness is you forgive. And that's it. I'm going to speak a blessing over us, and then I'm going to give a prophetic word about youth camp. I see youth camp being a recovery week. God's going to go deep on us, adults included. There's a lot of bitterness. I'm going to go ahead and say it now. There's just a lot of bitterness that a lot of us are bringing into camp. It's okay. It is, guys. But once Abba starts shining his light on it, you hang on to bitterness past its time. I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people get sick in their body and they can't figure it out. It's because it's bitterness. There are people that get healed of incurable diseases when they choose to forgive. Bitterness is just of the devil. I bless this church. I bless this youth group. I bless this children's ministry. I bless this house, that we would be a house of forgiveness, extreme forgiveness. In my dream two nights ago, there's a narrator in the dream. He read 1 Corinthians 13 over me over and over and over and over and over. And these people from my past popped up. If you can have prophecies that cure the world of all their problems, it's all about forgiveness. It's about releasing forgiveness. How about this? Look at me. I'll finish here. Even when the people don't want it, it's not about that. It's about you. It's like Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I bless this house with extreme forgiveness. Can we give these kids a hand this morning? Why don't we, why don't we all stand up? I'll speak a blessing over us. Caleb, come up here and uh, just on behalf of these, these youth, or as Cousin Vinny would say, youths, you pray us out of here as we head to camp. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We love you. We worship you. We just say, have your way this week in all of our lives. Do whatever you want to do. And we give our hearts to you. We're open to you. We look at you. We love you. We worship you. Have your way. Amen.